1: It's time to turn our attention to the United States.
2: And texts from Donald Trump Jr. reveal ideas for overturning the 2020 election before it was even called. Also going to be looking at the U.S. State Department asking Americans to avoid China based on what it is calling arbitrary COVID curbs.
1: The White House is also warning of escalating vulnerabilities to the United States from the semiconductor shortage. Let's get more detail from Nirmal Ghosh, a Bureau Chief for the Straits Times. Nirmal, let's start off with uh, this issue about uh, the 2020 presidential elections. Now, two days after those elections, as votes were still being tallied, Donald Trump's eldest son texted then-White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows that, uh, and the words he used was we have operational control. Uh, to ensure his father would get a second term, he was also quoted saying that We have multiple paths. We control them all, end quote. What does this suggest when it comes to the credibility of uh, Trump's initial denial of his efforts to overturn those election results and his involvement in the Capitol attack? And is there a consequence that Trump Jr. will face from such an attempt to overturn his father's loss? Hi, good morning. Yes,
0: that's one of the latest developments. That one and also Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump's daughter, testified for close to eight hours voluntarily in front of the select committee investigating January 6th. We heard from Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who is on that committee on Sunday. She is one of the tiny handful of Republicans who has spoken out against Donald Trump. She said Ivanka Trump's testimony was helpful. Others have suggested it couldn't have been good for her father because there has been reporting saying several people tried to get then-President Trump to call off the crowd that was attacking the Capitol, and she was one of them. And it took him something like four hours to release a video statement saying, go home. The Mark Meadows texts are part of this picture that is emerging from the select committee and the federal investigation of actual plans to subvert the election result. We know by now that it was by no means a spontaneous uprising, but this is revealing the depth and breadth of the planning the big questions are who gets charged with what in the end as for donald trump jr we don't know there's been a claim that those texts were forwards we really don't have any more details at this juncture But these are two jigsaw puzzles being put together from the committee and the federal investigation. And at the end of the day, they will have to decide whether to hold Donald Trump criminally accountable and charge him accordingly. Liz Cheney on Sunday said the committee has not made a decision on that question. But she said there was no dispute on the committee, which she said was working very collaboratively. This, by the way, is a nine member committee, which comprises seven Democrats and two Republicans.
2: Moving on to U.S.-China relations, Nirmal. Over the weekend, the U.S. State Department asked Americans to reconsider travel to China and to avoid visiting COVID-19 hotspots, including Shanghai, due to what it called an arbitrary enforcement of COVID-19 restrictions. This is amid the country's worst outbreak. To what extent will this move exacerbate tensions that are already running high between the world's two biggest economies amid this ongoing war in Ukraine to top it off?
0: Yes, China has criticized the United States on this, saying it is making groundless accusations about its COVID-19 policy. And there is much focus, as we know, on Shanghai, where the lockdown has become controversial. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs put out a statement on Saturday voicing, quote, strong dissatisfaction and firm opposition to the U.S. side's groundless accusations about China's epidemic control policy, unquote. The ministry's spokesman said China's epidemic control policy is scientific and effective. So, no, it does not contribute to improving the relationship, but neither is it some precipitous plunge. It is just one of a set of developments or factors that will continue to mark a deteriorated and deteriorating relationship. This podcast is available on our audio
1: app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. We're on the line this morning with Nirmal Ghosh, US Bureau Chief of the Straits Times. Nirmal, just recently, human rights activists, labor leaders and others have urged the Biden administration to put its weight behind a uh, coming ban on products made with forced labor in the Xinjiang region of China. Uh, they say that slavery and coercion taint company supply chains that run through the region and China more broadly. Uh, do you expect the law to be applied stringently, um, especially, you know, We have this issue of inflation that's going around. And what would a broad interpretation of the law mean for U.S. businesses relying heavily on imports from China? The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act
0: creates a rebuttable presumption that goods produced in whole or in part in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region are produced with forced labor and therefore prohibited from importation. So in short, any item which is even part produced in Xinjiang is assumed to have been produced by forced labor. But that assumption can be challenged, presumably by the companies involved. The importer can demonstrate to the U.S. government that its supply chains are free of forced labor. So by June 21, the Forced Labor Enforcement Task Force must issue guidance to importers on steps they can take to ensure that they are not importing goods produced with forced labor. That will be the key or rather an indicator as to how strict this will be, what the appeals or paperwork procedures are and so forth. And the number of U.S. companies affected depends on how broadly it is applied and enforced. It could be in the hundreds or thousands. We don't know that yet, but companies have been part of this process and have been lobbying for this to be targeted rather than sweeping. A very broad interpretation could mean increased scrutiny on many products from China, and that could lead to more detentions of goods at the U.S. borders, causing supply delays and potentially fueling inflation. But how much remains unclear at this stage?
2: Now, Nirmal, new Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson celebrated her rise from segregation to the Supreme Court at a White House event last Friday, marking her confirmation as the first black woman appointed to the nation's highest judicial bench. Tell us more about the significance of this appointment beyond the symbolism and how much of an impact this might have on the country's democracy.
0: It is a very significant appointment. As she pointed out herself, it has taken 232 years and 115 prior appointments for a black woman to be selected to serve on the Supreme Court of the United States. We've made it, all of us, she said. And she quoted the black poet Maya Angelou, who wrote, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. So with her on board, the nine-member Supreme Court bench looks more like President Biden's goal, which was a court that looks more like America, in one word, diverse. But it doesn't change the ideological makeup of the court, which is still weighted towards conservative. However, Supreme Court justices sit for life or until they retire or die. So she will be there presumably for a long time. She is only 51. In fact, by replacing an 83-year-old, she has brought down the average age of the Supreme Court justices to 61. So pretty significant, very symbolic and a win for Democrats
1: and progressives in
0: America's culture wars.
1: Okay, final issue, Nirmal. Last week, the White House held a classified briefing with some U.S. lawmakers on the diaries to the American economy from semiconductor supply chain issues as it pushes Congress for 52 billion U.S. dollars in funding to subsidize production. Now, how much of an impact would the interruption of semiconductor supply have on the U.S. economy? Put that in context for us. And what would it take for them to address the issue, uh, on this semiconductor reliance on other countries? The shortage is already having an
0: impact. General Motors, for example, last month said it would idle production at a pickup plant in Indiana for two weeks this month because of the chip shortage. The chip shortage has been around for about two years now because of the COVID pandemic. And now the Shanghai lockdown is also rippling across the globe. Car makers like Toyota have also been affected. So the U.S. has to do something to insulate itself from these supply chain vulnerabilities, especially with something so basic as semiconductors. It is quite obvious. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo has pointed out that two decades ago, the United States produced nearly 40% of all chips globally, while today it accounts for only 12%. This fund will be a shot in the arm and also create jobs here. But it is some way from actually happening yet. It is expected to be finalized this summer and it is still under negotiation. A lot of people want more money, but some say that the government should not be subsidizing the industry to this extent.
2: We've been speaking with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Thanks for joining us, Nirmal. We'll catch up with you again next week. The
0: Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.